And if you can get your Bibles out to Luke chapter 11, and we'll go through this series. And let's ask God that God will speak to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a speaking God, and we thank you that as we come to you, you draw near to us, that you are with us. And we pray now um, that you would speak to us and serve us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm a more of a do-as-I-say guy rather than do-as-I-do guy. It's not that I want to be hypocritical, but there is a level of hypocrisy that, um, that I, uh, I can't avoid. Uh, I, want, I don't like that, and so I'm striving to be more like Christ. But of course, Jesus is Jesus, and I am He. And there is a level at which I will always fail at this. But Jesus was Jesus, and he lived what he taught. And when it comes to prayer, he really, I mean, we see him living out what he taught. And this is, in, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And this is just a, from the Gospel of Luke, a list of when he prayed in this Gospel. Did you know that, that when he prayed, yeah, during, he was praying during his baptism, when the heavens opened up. He prayed all night before choosing the 12 disciples. In his busyness, he often withdrew to lonely places um, before uh, Peter confessed and recognized that Jesus was the Christ. He was praying in the Garden of uh, in the uh, sorry, in the Mount of Transfiguration when he shone brightly and gave us a foreshadowing of his glorious self. He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying until his sweat had turned into almost drops of blood, and he prayed for Simon to keep going and not to fail. In this series, we've been following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Um, and he's been teaching us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And what he teaches today is that a disciple is somebody who prays, somebody who prays like Jesus did. He's seen praying in verse 1. To be a disciple is to pray like him, uh, to depend on God as his children, to go to God as our Father, and to persist in praying throughout our lives. And an infant and children depend on the care and love and protection of others. They have no other choice. Um, and often when we go out of our life, we also depend on the care and love of other people. But in this middle part, it's the problem is sort of in the middle. As we grow in this middle part, we develop this illusion that we don't have to depend on others, that we can be independent, that we can do things by ourselves. And my children recently have been given these, uh, it's not a piggy bank, it's a dragon bank. <laughs> um, and we've been putting some of the money um, that, uh, they found, that they have in this, in this uh, bank, and it's sometimes brought out the worst in them. It, brings out, it brought out the worst in them. Um, instead of sharing, they say clearly now, this is mine and that is yours, don't touch this. <laughs> and they uh, go and fight over money and they want to control how their money is spent and they want to control how, yeah, they, they, they live their lives. <laughs> of course, that's how we are as adults, aren't we? We're given ability, the education, the skills, and we do these things and we start thinking that we're independent, that we're in control over our lives, that we don't have to depend on others. And richer you are, 
more tempted you are in this way because you feel that you don't have to depend on others. You can just pay for things. But of course, that's an illusion. The rich depend on the service of others. <laughs> the, the electricians, plumbers, the helpers, or whatever, and they need those others to serve them. Uh, if you've seen the movie Parasite, the, the Korean, the award-winning movie, that's the theme that's explored there. The rich, it's of course, the poor depend on the rich, uh, and they feed off of them. But actually, it's the other way around as well. The rich cannot live without the, the poor. They need the service and they need the help of the poor. Of course, we're all interdependent and none of us can live alone. All of us, though, all of us are utterly and completely dependent on God all the time, all at every moment. In other words, we are more like children, not fully grown adults when it comes to our relationship with God. So when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, his first words is, pray like this, our Father, Father, putting us in the position of being his children. The Lord's Prayer is a great prayer, and it's revolutionary in so many ways, but we don't have time to go through all the the content in detail, but let me just point out this fact. Every single line here is a petition. Every single line here is asking God for things that we can't get ourselves. And that's the heart of prayer, going to God, depending on Him, asking Him. Uh, it starts out, our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You know, we are concerned of about God's kingdom. We want to advance God's kingdom. We want to set his name apart from all other gods. But of course, we're also unable to do any of that. God has to act. God has to show himself as the Lord over all lords. God has to open the blind eyes and drive away evil spirits. It's only God who can do this. So we ask God, God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. In many ways, that's the most humiliating part of this prayer, isn't it? Because it's the poorest of the poor who depend on daily bread, daily ration that's given to us. And Jesus says that's all of us. Even though we have refrigerator full of food, we have bank account that we can depend, we are these people who need to depend on God, who need to recognize that all these things come from God our Father and not from ourselves. We need to ask God to give us our daily bread because it's He who sustains us. We depend on our spiritual needs too. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. Christians can never come to a point where we say, oh, I don't sin anymore. I don't need to depend on Christ anymore. Every single day until we die, we will need to depend on God for his forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation. God doesn't tempt us. It's ourselves. It's our sinfulness, as James says later um, in letter to James. Um, it's our sinfulness that tempts us, and we need to be delivered from ourselves. And lead us not into the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. We need deliverance from the evil one. You see, all of the Lord's prayer is a petition. It models asking. It, put, it places us in the, in the place of children, asking God the Father who can do things for us. Friends, 
if we don't pray, frankly, it's because you don't think you need to pray. Frankly, it's because you think that we think that we're just adults doing things on our own. And if we need to depend on God, well, we need to depend on God for, to fill in the gaps. The rest of it, I can handle myself. What I can't really do, I will go to God and ask Him um, to give me things. And we think, we, I know that, that if we truly think that everything depends on God, that we are in this position of children, we will pray because everyone prays when they need things. There are no atheists in the foxholes. Everybody, when they need something, they pray. Friends, we need God every day for everything. We are dependent beings. We are God's children who need to go to God, who is in control over all things. We need to depend on Him every day. And of course, there are times in our life when this illusion of independence, not needing God, is shattered. Um, when, we, when we get sick or when we can't control the future. But John Stott was a pastor theologian who was powerful in many, many ways and had a huge impact um, in the world. But towards the end of his life, he had a fall. And he had to depend on others um, for his basic needs. And it was hard. It was hard. His friend John Wyatt writes about this. In the first days of following surgery, John Stott was troubled by episodes of disorientation and by vivid and alarming visual hallucinations. In addition, there were the inevitable indignities of receiving nursing care and the concerns about what the future would hold. I remember we both find ourselves, found ourselves in tears, overcome by a powerful sense of our common human, human vulnerability and frailty. It was a painful but liberating experience. This powerful sense of our common human vulnerability and frailty. You know, vulnerability, frailty, dependence is not a condition that human beings need to overcome. It is a feature of our humanity. It's, our, it's a feature of our humanity, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. We depend on Him. So church... How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as somebody who's capable, somebody who can determine your own future on your own by yourself, or do you see yourself as a child, as somebody who needs to go to God, to someone who is in control, who is able, who is good? And unless you see yourself as a needy people, as you face each day, you will not start praying. And Jesus says, Come, come to him as God's children and come to your father. Of course, that's the good news in Christianity, that we don't go to God as beggars. We go to God as his children. We go to our loving father. So he goes on and he tells a parable in verse 5. Jesus tells of a friend who had come to visit him in the middle of the night, uh, to, uh, yeah, who had come, and he didn't have any food. It's the middle of the night. He doesn't know what to do. And that culture, uh, hospitality, is held in high regard. He needs to provide for his guest. And so what does he do? He, in desperation, he goes to a friend's house and bangs on the door and see what the guy says. The door's locked, he says. <laughs> um, I, can't, I mean, that seems like a really terrible excuse. My kids are asleep. I can totally identify with that one. 
we're already in bed and we can't get up, he says. But Jesus says, you know what? He will eventually get up and give you everything that he needs, you need, because, uh, not because of that he's a good friend, but because of this pure shamelessness and boldness and audacity um, that uh, has made him come in the middle of the night to him. And here's the important thing. When we go to God, we're not going to um, a friend whose door is closed. We're going to God the Father whose door is always open for us. So Jesus continues in verse 11, which of you, you fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven? Did you catch that little side comment about though you are evil? <laughs> he says, though you are evil. By nature, we're selfish, we're greedy, we're lazy, but we, even us, we know how to good, give good gifts to our own children. But our God is not like that. God is different. He is good. He is loving. And He is our Father. He is ready to give us good gifts. Imagine if you're, uh, I think you're called to adopt a child, a teenage son, you think. And, and you pray and you go to, through the whole um, process and you're matched with the boy and you meet him and you welcome him to your home. You go to the courts and, and, and this boy comes to live with you. But um, he, the boy feels like he has to earn a living at your home. He does the home, he does cleaning, he serves, um, he feels like he has to contribute to the household and he doesn't ask you for anything. How would you feel? Wouldn't it break your heart? What if one day, though, he came and said, Dad, could I ask you for something? Of course I will, son. I've been waiting for you to ask me anything. I'm ready to give you anything you ask. Friends, our Father wants to hear from us. He is ready to give us all good things. So ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and knock, and the door will be open to you. You aren't asking a stranger. You aren't asking a friend who's annoyed by you. You are asking a loving father who loves you and wants to give you these good gifts. But what if you say, I've been praying? Praying, but God has not been answering my prayers. You ask and seek and knock, and the door's not open. Here in other place, places, Jesus says, keep praying. Keep persisting in prayer. We see it in the friend who knocks on the door, right? He asks, and he goes, and he, you can almost picture him, right? Knocking on the, not knocking on the door. Did you say your, 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 your kids are asleep? <laughs> But we get a sense of it here, too, um, in, this, uh, uh, in, in, in Luke 18. He tells a parable, parable of a persistent widow who goes to the ju judge imploring to hear her case, and she doesn't give up. And Jesus tells us to pray and not give up. But here, in our reading, we get a sense of that, too. The three verbs here in, nine, in verses nine, 10, and 9 and 10 express an increasing sort of urgency in prayer. You ask. We are to ask. 
but if nothing happens, you are to also seek, adding action to your asking. Do something about it. And if that doesn't happen, you go to the door and you start knocking on the closed door. And that's what we are to do. And the verbs are, I'm told, uh, present imperatives. One commentator says it should read, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Friends, persevere in your prayers. Keep going to Him. God has ordained persistent prayers to give us good gifts. That is just the means that He has ordained to give us good gifts, that we persist in our prayers. Why? Well, I think there are many reasons for this. First, I think that persisting has this effect of clarifying what we really want. Have your child ever asked you for something, you know, I want Pokemon cards, Dad. And then they, he asks and asks and asks, and then, you know, something happens and he forgets. Next week, he sees Legos. He goes, I want Legos, Dad. This is what I really want. You know, if we keep persisting in asking, it clarifies to us what we really want. God wants us to give us good gifts, not gifts anything that you, your fleeting heart desires on that moment. So persisting has this way of clarifying what we really want. And I think it also clarifies what we really need. In my days as a single person, I asked, I mean, fervently and <laughs> often that God would bring me to the right person, um, that I would marry the right person. That I'm, yeah. But as I was repeating the same prayer every day, you do start asking yourself, don't you? You go, well, why am I asking this? What, is this what I really need? What kind of other things should I be asking? So I started to add to my prayers. God, help me to be satisfied in you. Help me to be satisfied fully in you. Help me to be patient, to wait for your will. Yeah, help me to be the kind of person who can love others. Help change my character. Yeah, as we persist in asking, it has this way of clarifying what we really need. It has a way of sanctifying you as well. And finally, pers persevering in prayers can be an expression of trust. Trust and dependence on God's goodness, on His power and grace. You know, somebody, as I was preparing this sermon, somebody said, well, you know, I, um, my philosophy is that after we have prayed for a while, I just leave it to God. Shouldn't I just trust God that He has heard me? You know, and if He doesn't give it to me, then I should just stop praying because, you know, God has heard me and He will do what is good for us. And I get the sentiment. Sometimes when we go to God again and again and again, we're slightly afraid that maybe He hasn't heard us. <laughs> maybe I need to bend His will to mine by keep on persisting and going to Him because he's not good enough to do what is actually good for me, right? So we go to him, and it can be a sign of our faithlessness, but I don't think it has to be that way. In fact, I think it often is the other way around. It, it can be a sign of our faith in God's goodness and his grace and his power. Here's the thing. If Barney, my first son, or any of my children, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I would go to God every day, every single day. I would go to him every single day until he is healed, 
until he's taken away to heaven, or somehow God makes it clear that I shouldn't be praying for this every single day. Not because I don't trust his goodness, not because I don't think he's gracious, but because I know that he is. Because he is able to heal. I know he's good, and, he, and I know he is gracious, and I know that he can heal even until the very last moment. So I would go to him every single day trusting in his good character. Unless God makes it clear that healing is not his will, his will or he takes him away. You see, persistence, persisting in going to God when God doesn't open that door right away can mean your sign of faith and trust in his goodness, not the other way around. So friends, by all means, test your motivation as you um, pray and listen to God and see if he speaks to you. But pray, continue to pray for these things that God has laid upon your hearts. Continue to pray for your friends and family uh, who are not yet Christian. Continue to ask and seek and knock because your heavenly Father is good and he knows how to give good gifts to you. Actually, the text is better than that. I don't know if you caught the difference in the Gospel of Matthew. It says good gifts. But Luke ends with, Uh, Your heavenly Father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Holy Spirit, he's the best gift. He's able to give you the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the best gift in terms of prayer. Uh, This is Romans chapter 8. He helps you to pray. Even when you don't have words to pray, the Spirit will pray on your behalf. And we pray with our limited knowledge without uh, knowing everything, but the Spirit knows and He prays according to God's will. And more than that, I think He's also the guarantee that all your prayers will be answered. If you have the Holy Spirit, it means that all your prayers, all your right prayers will be answered answered by God. Because in the book of Ephesians, Paul says the Spirit is the guarantee, the deposit of things to come. When you go to a dealer and you buy a car, the dealer doesn't give you, literally hand you a car, does he? He says, here's the key. And when you have the key, you have the car. Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit means everything. It means that you will receive everything that your heart desires because it means that you will enter the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes back and the world is created, all our desires, all our prayers will be answered. Where our deepest needs for joy and peace and security Friendship, forgiveness, reconciliation, righteousness, love, justice, healing. It will all be given to you. We will enter a world where all our prayers will be answered. Church, God has given us his son. God has given us the Holy Spirit. He will give us everything. So children of God, go to your father Keep on praying. Amen.